Stress, anxiety, and depression are skyrocketing among children and teens. And Cook Children's Healthcare System is on a mission to bring these topics into the light. I'm Winnie King. And I'm Dr. Kristen Perch. If you have kiddos in the room, now is the time to put on those headphones. Some of the topics we'll be discussing will not be suited for young ears. This is Raising Joy. Hello, and welcome back to Raising Joy. My name is Kristen Perch, and I'm a child and adolescent psychiatrist at Cook Children's Hospital. And I'm talking today with my fabulous co-host, oh, Miss Winnie fabulous. King. And please tell us your title because it oh, is It's long. It's, it's a lot. I love it. It's yeah, a what lot. Is it? I'm Senior Vice President, Chief of Communications, Inclusion, Diversity, and Equity for Cook Children's. That is amazing. Yes, it is. It's a very well-deserved title. Yeah, love it. And so on our last episode, we talked to Tom and Ellen Harris Mm -hmm. um, about their daughter, Jordan Elizabeth Harris, and um, how that spawned them to really work in the community to help raise awareness about suicide and um, among our young people and how to prevent it. And I know at the end of the episode, we always end with have a joyful day. Yeah. Yeah. And it just didn't ring true for either of us. Mm -mm, So it didn't. And sometimes the episodes are a little heavy, so it, it doesn't feel good to then say hey have a joyful day it just doesn't it, it doesn't ring true so we're gonna change it we are gonna change it yeah i think we just didn't really like the message of um here's a really serious conversation i'll slap a smile on it yeah because that's sort of the opposite of, of what, what we're, we're trying, trying to do <laughs> yeah <laughs> so we're True. gonna change it let us know what you think mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. we're learning yes neither of are. us have ever you know co-hosted. Before. yeah we're, we're learning with you guys really yeah <laughs> well let's talk a little about our guest today Yay. we have my friend and colleague, Dr. Lisa, Lisa Elliott, is here. She is a licensed psychologist and the clinical manager of Cook Children's Behavioral Health Clinic in Denton. The thing I will say, um, Dr. Elliott and I share a lot of patients together, and so I just really respect her insight. And whenever one of my patients goes to her and gets psychological testing, the parents not only come back grateful for her insight, but I'm also grateful as well. The other thing as a friend to know about Dr. Elliot is, mm-hmm. uh-oh, uh-oh. She, no, she, she, this is what I love about her. So she'll say, how are you doing? And I'll go, oh yeah, everything's great. And she, no, really? How are you doing? Okay. I because, asked for a reason. Because she really wants to know. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden I'm like, well, actually, and then I, <laughs> I tell her everything yeah, and yeah. not, she's just one of those people that has my trust because I know she actually really cares. So, yeah. um, I'm just grateful to have her as a friend and colleague. That's important. That yep. is so important. Oh my gosh. So welcome. Dr. Elliot to the show. Yay. That means a lot. I remember the last time we actually saw each other was at the hospital when we happened to do our, was it CPI training? Absolutely. And that's actually what happened. <laughs> yes. And, and I was like, actually, I'm not okay today. <laughs> you shouldn't have asked. Yeah. No, that's I didn't want to know. I was grateful because yeah. she, she really did want to yeah, know. I that's do. That's good. Mm-hmm. That's good. Okay, Dr. Elliot, you are a licensed neuropsychologist. Help me out. What does a neuropsychologist do? That is a mouthful. And you, it's not as much as your title. Yeah. <laughs> so it's what, what the neuropsychologist is. It's we are psychologists first. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important for everyone to understand. So okay. we're trained as psychologists, but we have additional training that helps us. It's like a specialty, an area okay. of specialty. So we have additional training that has to do with about our brain development, but brain factors that impact our brain and how that impacts our behaviors and emotions. Oh, so, so the wiring. 
so to speak. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a great that's a great way to say Thank that. Thank you. That's good why I'm job. here. <laughs> well, that's good to know. Um, okay, so this question actually is for the both of you. So, um, Kristen and Dr. Elliot, how do you approach um, different? How do, how is your approach different when you are talking to a patient? When you are when you're dealing with a patient as a neuropsychologist and then as a psychiatrist, what is the approach? How, how are you different? How are you similar? Dr. Pritch, you want to go first? Sure. So I, I often say um, psychiatry and psychology are kind of two different sides of the same coin um, in that like a psychiatrist has gone to medical school. And so we're going to look at the medical causes of some of these symptoms. Like, you know, if you're really depressed, hey, how is your thyroid? How is your um, you know, how is your, are, are you anemic? And so we're going to make sure all of those things are uh, well controlled. And then also we would be able to prescribe medicine if it got to that, like if your symptoms were impairing your functioning. So we kind of approach it from the medical side of things and a psychologist, um, could be a counselor and they're going to do more of the therapy side of things. Mm-hmm. But we know from the research, um, especially for uh, childhood anxiety and depression, um, you know, the medications and the therapy are equally, they work equally well, but whenever they're used together, kids get better, faster, Mm. safer. So I love working with my psychology (laughs) colleagues and I could not tell you, like, I cannot just say like all of the great, wonderful work that you guys do to give kids coping skills that they use the rest of their life. Yes. So, so our training, we have doctorates in psychology, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're a neuropsychologist, you have additional training beyond that. And so, um, like Dr. Perch said, we, we come from a neuropsych standpoint, we come from a very much a medical view too, because that's how we're trained in terms of looking at all the things that might've occurred, how it may have impacted your brain, mm-hmm. drugs in utero exposure, oxygen mm-hmm. deprivation, seizures, um, endocrinology issues, cancer treatments, Hmm. all of that we have to look at as well. But what we don't do is we don't prescribe medications, Mm -hmm. um, but we can diagnose and we do a lot of testing to look at a pattern of strengths and weaknesses. And the goal from that then is to be able to come up with a very rich and diverse list of recommendations and tools that help use those strengths to overcome those weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And then we also do a ton of therapy. That's one of my most favorite parts is actually the therapy part. Wow. That's great. Actually, I like it all. I like the testing too. (laughs) I just lied. (laughs) And a lot of times I'll have a parent that'll say, you know, do you think we should get some imaging? Like, do you think we should get like a CT or an MRI at their brain to see if anything is wrong? And I'll say, you know, um, so that actually won't tell us, you know, if, if, if there's a big tumor there, yes, we want to know that, but we're probably going to see some other things that would make us concerned about that. And so whenever they're wanting a deeper look, I'm like, actually, I think what you want is psychological testing or neuropsychological testing. If they have some sort of a neurologic diagnosis that would qualify them for that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, whenever they want a deeper look, I'm like, you want testing. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. I totally agree. <laughs> Dr. Elliot, how do you involve the parents in your, um, in your situation when you are taking care of a child? Do you involve them and how do you involve them? Absolutely, they have to be involved. Yeah. I mean, therapy cannot occur in a vacuum, right? Mm-hmm. So 
they may not always be in there the whole session because, you know, most of our sessions are 55 minutes. So, mm-hmm. so they may not be there the whole entire session, but they're always either going to have initial part or a follow-up or both of those. And sometimes I let the kids choose if they want their parent involved because I have, there's nothing to hide with what we're doing mm-hmm. because what we're doing is we're teaching tools and we're teaching them how to handle strategies, how to take perspective taking how to view things in a different view and how to be able to apply that for their life. And so we oftentimes are always giving them homework. And so the parents have got to know how to carry that homework out into their home environment because that's where they're really living it. That's mm-hmm. where they're practicing it. And that's where they're implementing it. Mm. Cool. I had an attending, one of my very favorite, uh, Dr. Bashford at UNC. He told us that we should be renamed a family psychiatrist and not child psychiatrist because yes. it, it has to be the whole family supporting mm-hmm. a kid or they're not going to get better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I could totally agree. Got yeah. it. Yes. <laughs> so Dr. Elliot, we know that a very special topic for you is bullying. So can you talk to us about the impact that you see in your patients and the special tool you developed to help them? Okay. Well, can I tell just a brief story of how that tool happened? Oh, please do. So there was a judge on the bench when I first started the behavioral health clinic in Denton who had ordered these six individuals into my practice independently. I don't know if they knew each other. They may have known, but of course I never saw them together Four guys and four girls. And, um, they were in the legal system because they were extreme bullies, I guess you could say. Mm. And so, you know, we've always known that oftentimes bullies, it's more about having control over someone else's emotions and having that, um, you know, be able to take control of somebody else's motion, be able to, you know, make them feel like they've got control of that mm-hmm. and that there was pleasure in witnessing that. Right. And so it would make them feel better. And, but, so they revealed that, but the other thing that they revealed, which is why the ignore, just ignore the bully, um, never worked is all six of them independently had revealed that if they ignore me, they, they still make the assumption that they're hurting inside. Really? So that was like, ah, the light bulb goes off. That's not just ignoring them will never work. And do you remember? I don't, you probably don't, Dr. Perch, because you're so well, much yeah, younger yeah, than yeah. I am. Yeah. I remember. I remember. But Wendy, do you mm-hmm. remember yeah. how it was just ignore mm-hmm. them? That yeah. was They'll kind of away. the yeah. the tool or the policy, they were, what mm-hmm. they would teach us at school, mm-hmm. right? That's exactly right. And it, and it never worked. And they revealed why it didn't work. And so that's when I kind of, kind of came up with the behavioral strategy of like, it's, I call it the rat. And so um, I teach like, it's more of, I'm going to share the version for littles, but we modify it for teens. Okay. okay. So for littles, we sit there and tell them, pretend your parents let you have a pet rat. And this rat is in a cage and there's a tube for a feeder for water and one for food. But you decide to teach your rat new tricks. So you put a bar in there and you teach the rat to punch the bar. Every time that rat punches the bar, it gets a mini M&M. So what is that rat going to want to do? And you you walk them in this process, right? Well, of course, they're that rat's going to want to punch the bar all the time. Well, the rat gets a little on the chubby side, a little unhealthy. So the vet says, you've got to stop this. So you just put a a block on there. So the rat goes up and punches that button. What will it do? It doesn't get anything. So I kind of lead the children on, how do you think that they'll respond? Well, they'll keep punching the rat, the button. Well, yeah, they'll keep punching and punching and punching and punching harder and harder and faster and faster until what happens. And they all lead to their strict behavior modification. They give up said, exactly. I said, what happens? You're feeding the rat. Mm. Every time that rat punches your button by saying something mean and hurtful and you respond mm-hmm. in a way that shows pain, hurt, fear, um, you know, frustration, 
anger, any negative emotion, you've just fed your rat. Mm. So they understand, oh, I've got to quit feeding the rat. Mm. Yes. But how they do it then becomes important. The number of words they say Mm -hmm. and how they say it are absolutely critical. So the fewer the words you say, and so I have a, a profile of words like so, okay, who cares, whatever, big deal, so what. Never more than one or two words. The more words you're likely to say, you're going to say something you shouldn't say, and it feeds the rat. rat. But then your tone of voice becomes critical. And so after talking, I kind of researched this and talking to some speech pathology friends, they said, if you will raise your voice up at the end with a lilt, like a question, so, okay, who cares, whatever, you cannot show emotion. Oh, this is brilliant. And it works. (laughs) And it works. I've never had a... I knock on wood. There's no wood in here. In my head. <laughs> but ever, I've never had a kid or a teenager tell me it doesn't work. I've even, they, you can even use it with your siblings. Wow. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Ooh. Perch household is getting a rewire <laughs> tonight. <laughs> I'm so excited. But doesn't, I mean, doesn't that make sense? And yeah. so when you set them up as a game, you never put the, the kid's name down. as a pool. You just have a rat and then their name. And every time the rat tries to punch their button, and they successfully do not feed that rat, they mm-hmm. score the point. Mm-hmm. Every time they their button gets pushed, but they do feed the rat, the rat gets the point. So then parents set them up on a reward system. So then they've got a more motivation. Wow. I think what's also cool about that strategy is it doesn't turn the kid that's being bullied into the bully by exactly. saying something right. like rude or hurtful. And then that escalates. And then both kids are in ISS because they're fighting. So exactly. This is great. Well, thank you. Yes. It's, it's, I, I like it. I hope it worked. I mean, I've, I've always found it to work for my kiddos that I work with, but I, you know. Wow. Actually, it worked with my two children too when they were younger. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's, that's genius. Isn't it? Yeah. It's, and, and it's research-based. That's what I love about it too. Yes. It, it incorporates what we know about like bullying behavior, how to decrease unwanted behavior, all that. It's, yeah. It's brilliant. Yes. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to steal it because I'm going to give you credit. Okay. Okay. But I'm going to use it. I want people to use it. (laughs) You you know, none of us ever really want to think of our child as a bully. Mm -hmm. We we really don't want to do that, but it happens. So what do you tell parents who find themselves with a child who is picking on someone else? I'm really glad you asked that question because I strongly encourage parents never to be so naive. Mm. that they can't recognize that their child might bully, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then I stress upon them that children bully for lots of different reasons. But the other thing that happens too is in addition to lots of different reasons, they, it's it's not because the parent is a bad parent, right? Okay. Okay. So then I teach them the approach has to be, they've got to respond to their child in a very calm manner. Do not show frustration or anger. It needs to be more concern. Like, Why is this going on? What's led to this? Let's address those issues behind the bullying and let's get you help for that piece. Mm -hmm. But the other thing too, is I really strongly encourage them to make sure that they hold that child accountable because there's an art to an apology, correct? Mm -hmm. But if we can be able to say, we've made a mistake, I'm deeply sorry. Will you please forgive me? And may have a change of behavior. That's resiliency. Mm -hmm. That's building resiliency, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's holding them accountable for it, but at the same time, under, 
addressing those underlying issues about what's behind it. What, what's usually behind it? What's, what's the, what's the, what oh, is goodness, it? When there's so many reasons, one of it is they've been bullied before and they feel like they've got to be on the, I guess, proactive. I don't, mm-hmm. that's, attack. I don't mm-hmm. attack. So they're not attacked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And proactive is not the word I want to say, but they need to, they, they've bowed up already as a way to a self-protective mechanism. So yeah. they want to protect themselves from anyone else who might bully them. Okay. It may be because they, um, have just seen it and don't know appropriate social skills. Another one is because they have a very low self-esteem. I mean, there's could be another one is they're really depressed. I mean, there's so many reasons why children bully, but I think that's the goal is to find out what's going on and give them the tools then to help them Mm. through that. Mm. And I like that you mentioned that those first questions have to come from a place of concern from the parents, Mm. because I know if I got the call that said that my daughter had, you know, was being mean to another girl, my first emotion will not be common concern. It will be a whole lot of frustration. (laughs) And yes, ma'am, I'm going to handle this Mm -hmm. and she won't do it again. I promise. Um, But to get to actually help with the behavior, it can't just be consequences. You have to understand it or it will not change. Exactly. Mm. You're exactly right. Yes. Okay. You just got to breathe. Right. I know. Me. I know. Yes, I know. Right. Our acronym. I know. Yeah, you got to breathe. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, and take a pause. But but you're right. The the the, the natural reaction is I am going to handle this and well, I'm going to handle you. Well, and- here's the other thing that you sometimes what I've seen, not only has it been a, just a natural reaction of anger towards their child being the bully, but they also then also the other the other side of that coin is I've seen parents become incredibly defensive and say, this is not my child. Mm. And so that needs, you know, I, that's why I encourage parents don't do not take this on as this is bad parenting. Let's explore what's causing this and let's get help. But, you know, parents, it's my fault. I did it. I I, I don't know why this happened. And, and that's not my child. And but it's my fault. It is my fault. Mm. I did something. I should have done something. Everybody's going to feel that our children live in a world of lots of models. It's not always the parents fault. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. They're all over the place. Yes, they, they are. are. TV, mm-hmm. social yes. media, friends, classrooms. Uh-huh. I mean, coaches. I mean, it's everywhere. Wow. Yeah, that is very true. Okay, yeah. very good. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about cell phones and video games. You treat children who are addicted to their screens. Can you explain that? You know, this is a little bit of a hot box for me and I might have to have, I might have to do my own just breathe. (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha. Gotcha. I am actually really grateful. We now have the ability to diagnose it, to be honest with you, because in 2019, wasn't it the world health organization Mm -hmm. identified gaming disorder Mm -hmm. as something Mm -hmm. that we can diagnose. And so then we can actually give treatment for it. Um, So, it's not just a gaming disorder. It's also too much social media. So I have real issues. I can sometimes feel like that social media and, and all of our screen time can be mm-hmm. a cancer mm-hmm. in many ways. I yeah. don't have a lot of good feelings <laughs> about too much screen time. <laughs> Fair. And I have to moderate myself mm-hmm. and recognize there is some value in it, but there is so much pain and hurt and um, negativity as well as damage. Mm-hmm. I mean, we know 
from CAT scans and um, fMRIs and things like that, that actually it impacts the development of the frontal lobe. Mm -hmm. So it, it impairs one's ability to regulate social emotions it, or social relationships as well as emotional relationships. It impairs um, kind of executive function skills. So there's actually physical evidence of the damage it causes to brain development. So that's one issue I have with it. Um, but I just, I think part of our problem with it is too, is, I want parents to understand they model, they model mm -hmm. for their children um, how to manage screen times. Mm -hmm. You know, TV should not be in children's bedrooms. Neither should gaming systems. American Pediatric Association says no more than two hours a day for this. But when you see that their screen time has gotten to the point mm -hmm. of impacting social functioning, academic functioning, work functioning. They've withdrawn from all their activities that they've enjoyed. If you see them having behavioral disruption, mm -hmm. whenever they're told, no, they can't have it or removed from it, mm. or there's a mm. lot of, you know, sneaking, lying, hiding it, um, or they're, they have in an inability to control it themselves. We have a, we have a problem and they need to get help with it. It needs to be treated like a traditional addiction mm. and there's therapies for that. Mm. You know what? Okay. So I have a, you know, my son, when he was in his twenties, he played video games so much that I said, the devil, this is the devil. <laughs> it is. It's trying to control him. And it really, I, you didn't even have to tell me he was addicted. I knew he was addicted. Mm -hmm. and, and it was just, it was ridiculous. And I could not figure out how to help him. And, and he didn't want to recognize it. Mm -hmm. After a while, though, I guess he grew up and grew out of it. But during that time, I'm like, you it's are, frustrating. this is crazy. And he's playing the game with people from around the world. I mean, mm -hmm. and this, it is really just, and I, I couldn't believe that, you know, it was the devil. <laughs> it, it was the devil. I really did. I was like, okay, you need to learn how to do something else. But he, he eventually got out of it. But I was concerned for about two years. Mm -hmm. I was real concerned. Oh. And the video games, I mean, they're made to make you want to play them more, mm -hmm. you know? Right. So when, oh. I, and when you talk about it being an addiction, like there is that dopamine release and the, the way the reward system, it's all there. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, like a regular, you know, like any other thing Literally. that you could get anything yeah. you could get addicted to. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think that that is real. I do think that some people can do it in moderation and it can be positive. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like I, I don't, so I don't want to say like all video games are bad, but I just think you have to keep it in moderation Going back to your point about um, how frustrating it is or like, does it lead to outbursts? So all of my patients that I see an outpatient, I ask them, what makes you worried? What makes you sad? What makes you frustrated? And so and then the kids are like, oh, nothing makes you frustrated. I'm like, OK, so what happens whenever your mom says, hey, it's time for you to go to get off the video game and come eat dinner? And they're like, and then the, the mom's like smiling because she knows. <laughs> but I don't. And they're and the kids like, how did you know? And I was like, because every kid, this happens to every kid. Mm -hmm. And so I lead like that's my first one. It's it is getting off video games. Tablets is the first one. Siblings is two. Three is hygiene. So to mm -hmm. have to take a shower. And mm -hmm. and if a kid tells me that they don't have any outbursts or any frustration about those things, I'm like, you're doing great. 
<laughs> you kind of checked out the validity of yes. it, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. And the parents are like, oh, no, they're fine. I'm like, you guys probably don't need to see me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I even remember when my son was really little. Um, he would sit and watch TV. We mm-hmm. had the same issue with just television mm-hmm. where he would be just enthralled, Zone. just enthralled to the point where I'm calling him mm-hmm. and saying, Trey, 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 and I'm getting louder and louder. And he has not heard me. Mm-hmm. He's not heard me. But I can tell you one of the things that is really kind of disturbing to me is that now you see six month olds with the phone and they are going through the phone. Okay. So let me tell you. (laughs) Okay. So I was asked by the hospital to present after once, once it got, I guess, rendered as being a diagnosable diagnosis, whatever disorder that we could diagnose. Um, I was actually, my husband, I had gone to a restaurant and, um, he knew I was working on this PowerPoint. And so I, we were sitting down and this really cute young family came in. You could tell they were young professionals and they had this adorable little girl that was, had to be still sitting in a high chair. So what, two mm-hmm. and under, mm-hmm. right? Okay. So the first thing that they do is they're all, they pull out a tablet for her mm-hmm. and they each pull out their cell phones. Mm-hmm. There's no communication, no conversation. My husband's holding me back. Mm-hmm. He goes, you just keep your mouth shut. This is not for you to intervene on. <laughs> Because he knew. <laughs> what, huh? Because he knew. Because he, he knew. knew. But let me tell you, these things work out for themselves because what happened shortly after that, another family came in, a mom and dad and a son and a daughter. The son was older. The daughter was probably early middle school, maybe fifth, sixth, seventh grade or whatever. They all sat down, did the exact same thing, all pulled out their cell phones. The waiter comes up to take their drink order. Mm-hmm. Everyone responds, but the daughter, the, da- she, the dad asks her, what do you want for drink? She ignores again. Ignored the third time. The dad pulled the phone away. She took the table and threw no. the table upside down in the restaurant. No. So that breathe. And, just breathe. Just breathe. <laughs> so you know that initial little family that came in? Guess what they did? They put away. They all put their cell phones away. And it was like, yes. Oh. One has been saved. But that's, that is what I worry about whenever mm-hmm. we give it to, especially like young toddlers and younger kids, is that they don't learn those social skills. Like they have to learn how to talk to each other in person and exercise and get outside like that. Those are the things that you need to be happy. And I just worry that we give a lot of that, a lot of our time to things that are not really filling our cup. Well, I totally agree with you. I mean, all the attachment research tells you they've, they really should not have anything that has electronic until four years of age, just for brain development and attachment. But you have seen children, I mean, babies, and, mm-hmm. and, and they love to, you know, do the swipe, the, the, you know, in it. And somebody told me one time that um, there was a kid uh, and they would, you know, swipe, swipe, and then um, gave them a, a, a magazine. Couldn't. They don't know. They don't know they don't how know to turn to the page. <laughs> I, I think- could not turn the page. I yes. think kids don't even know how to use a computer mouse anymore. Really? Because oh. they're so used to touch screens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, younger kids, right? Yeah. So they don't, they don't know. Yeah. This is crazy. They just don't know. It's a lot. So Dr. Elliot, how can parents help their kids build resilience so that they're not turning over tables in <laughs> restaurants? <laughs> well, you did, I, my first thought was, is I, I hope all parents know what resiliency really means. I mean, okay. it's, you know, it's the ability to overcome difficult challenges, adversities to, um, even whenever we make mistakes, 
our own personal mistakes, you know, like that. And so it's, you know, it's, there's a lot of power in successfully managing, coping and dealing with difficult things. It makes us stronger. It makes us more brave and it makes us more resilient. Mm -hmm. So I am huge at teaching resiliency and making that a big piece of our practice. But, um, I think it begins with teaching our kids to be kind, teaching our kids to be empathetic, teaching critical thinking skills, things like perspective taking, recognizing there's a lot of people that have views beyond our own views, recognizing the value of diversity and differences. And there's so much beauty and power in that. Richness. Yes. Yes, so Mm -hmm. Um, Recognizing that we can disagree with someone and still love them. Mm -hmm. Agree to disagree. I don't think Mm -hmm. we do that enough in our world. Um, I just having open-mindedness, having more mindfulness and alone, um, how to instill optimism and hope um, and listening to them and respecting them and just giving them optimism Mm. for future. I think, yes, I think that is really good. And and I think too, I like what you said about um, it's so like we need for our kids to under, to go through hard things and to, you know, to help them in the way. Cause I think, I think a lot of parents get really uncomfortable whenever their kids are down on themselves or their kids are unhappy. But the truth of the matter is that's part of life is that we're going to be unhappy mm-hmm. and that we're going to fail. And, and we want them to get those first experiences whenever they're within our home. So we can help them with those skills to get back up. Because honestly, I, want my daughter to do extracurricular things that she's not the best at Mm -hmm. because I want her to try something hard and keep trying and to get better. Mm -hmm. Because if you just do things that you're good at your whole entire life, what are you going to do when you get to college and it doesn't go so well? Mm -hmm. So like you you don't want to give them up. You don't want to learn to give up. Right. And so it's yes, I think it's just important to build that early, start Uh those lessons early. Like it's okay to fail. Or if you get negative feedback or if you get an answer wrong, it's because they're trying to make you better. This mm-hmm. is how you learn. Mm-hmm. Like my daughter's elementary school has they're all about growth mindset. Yes. And about how and I love it. I, I walk in and I just think it's the best thing ever that they're teaching kids that whenever you make mistakes are how you learn. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. that you're bad. You don't need to, you know, make that mean that you're not smart. It just means it's an opportunity for growth. And that's it. I think that's that's wonderful. But you know what helps with that is parents being able to we make mistakes all through our whole lifespan. Mm-hmm. So it's not just growing up. So I think it's really important for parents to also model for their kids that they make mistakes mm-hmm. and how they handle that mistake. That's a good idea. And and so at dinner, I may, okay, see, I'm going to do this tonight. So I will. <laughs> You're going to do a lot. You're yeah, poor, right? You're poor children. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, psychiatrist kids are like notoriously a little strange. Yeah. So we'll, we'll have them on the show with Dr. Elliot later and we can get a jury. <laughs> Get it free. Okay, gotcha. gotcha. But, but, but so, okay, I'm going to think about something and a, a problem that they would understand, like put it in their terms and say, like, this is how I came about it, you know? Mm. And then eventually they're going to probably, they're smarter than I am. So they're going to call me and be like, Mom, we know you're trying to teach me something. Please stop. <laughs> so, and they'll roll their eyes at me. Oh my great. gosh. Oh my gosh. Yes, you guys should come to my house. <laughs> do as I say, not as I do. Okay. I bet it's great. Yeah, I, I bet it is. Lots of entertainment. Yes. For sure. Dr. Elliot, what keeps you up at night? Uh, remember, I told you guys, if you talk to me about this, I get emotional because I really worry about our kids. I worry about them deeply. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. No, I, I keep telling the people we need tissue in here, but yeah, I think they don't you, believe you us. You probably do. I'm, 
you know, the youngest child I've had that wanted to kill themselves was four. Mm-hmm. And that was about nine months, seven months ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just can't imagine why any child, any beautiful, precious soul feels like life is so difficult that they don't, the only way they see out is to kill themselves. So I really worry about the level of depression and anxiety and the suicides that we have. And I really worry what we're modeling for our kids. Um, You know, we, all of us as adults Mm -hmm. should be modeling better behavior, a a stronger moral code for our kids. Um, That includes politicians from every aisle. Mm -hmm. That includes actors. We saw what happened Mm -hmm. at the Grammys. Mm -hmm. What includes um, teachers and coaches, all adults in their life. I mean, we, our kids are watching us navigate difficulties. They watch us deal with ethical dilemmas. Mm -hmm. If we will approach things with honesty and fairness and respect and kindness, they're more likely to do that too. Um, There was a study that was done and we're not teaching empathy. It's, I don't know why that's not a, a, a piece anymore. There was just a recent study that was done that showed there's 40% less empathy among our teenagers than there was just one decade ago. And I think it's, if you look at our society, we, we, this polarization has created so much hatred. It's you against me type of mentality instead of seeing once again, how we are all better in power and strength. If we all work together, you know, it's just, and it's, our kids don't have hope. They'll tell you that. I mean, I tell my kids and my patients all the time that suicide is a long-term solution to a very, very, very short-term problem, but they don't see this as a short-term problem. Because it's one challenge after another, after another, and we're not modeling for them Mm. that these are short-term problems and how we can get past it. But it doesn't feel short-term. It doesn't to them because it's continuing. Well, and because of the way their brain works, right? Like they're just so here and now. Exactly. So Mm -hmm. it's hard for them. They they don't, like their brain physically is not developed enough for them to know that it's going to get better. Even though the adults in the room are like, hey you know, it's probably going to get better. They don't have, they just don't have the perspective biologically. But if you think about it, we, I think we have a lot of adults that don't know that either too. So I think it's like, so true. So I was going to say, I think, you know, it's not only, you're right. Our, our frontal lobe doesn't fully develop until until we're 25. So there's a lot more impulsivity and inability to to engage in those critical thinking skills. But we do know that if they're taught and modeled for them, they're more likely to do them earlier. Mm. That's awesome. You know, facilitate that development. Mm. Absolutely. Wow. Thank you so much. You bet. This has been What you guys are doing is amazing. This is incredible. I just, I want the world to, to hear you both. Okay. And your your wisdom too. I mean, Absolutely. I, I always say I learn something new every time I come on. Every and every single like you time. guys see what I'm implementing in my house. Yeah. I, have, I have homework. <laughs> so, And to our listeners, thank you so, so much for joining us. Uh, this episode of Raising Joy. Please rate, review, and subscribe and follow Joy Campaign or follow the Joy Campaign on checkupnewsroom.com. And remember, just, just breathe, open, open up, up, you matter. You matter. <laughs>